Thanks, Jimmy. A priest, an imam, and a rabbit walked into a bar. The rabbit said, I think I'm a typo. Uh, if you don't get it, ask the person next to you. I'm just trying to see if you're awake and alert this morning. That has nothing to do with Psalm 3. Um, but I just couldn't help sharing that. I thought that was so clever. As we turn uh, to the Psalms, the last few weeks we've, we've done Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And now as we uh, arrive at Psalm 3, we realise that the way that the, the Psalms are put together... Some of them are attributed to a particular author. Some of them have a title that might give the context uh, in which the psalm is written. Some of the psalms have instructions for musicians as to how they are to be sung or, or read. And some psalms have none of these things. They're standalone psalms. So as we, as we look at the, this book of psalms, we look carefully at um, the heading of today's psalm because it is one of those that has a heading and it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So we need a bit of history, uh, a bit of background to understand this. If you know the story um, of the latter years of David's kingship in, in um, Samuel chapter 2 verse 15 and following, you'll know that... Um, he was a bit of an indulgent father. He had children by a number of different wives and the children were vying for position and um, also for who would be the king after David as he was getting older. And Absalom, one of David's sons, killed Amnon, sorry, Ammon, his half-brother. And really, David didn't handle that situation well. He, banned, he banished Absalom for a time. When Absalom came back to the city, David wouldn't see him, but he started a, a systematic process of undermining the credibility of David, his father. And in 2 Samuel 15, verse 2, we read this. When any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment... Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were the judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come before me and I would give justice. And the, the little summary of this statement, the, uh, the author writes, So Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Where was David? He should have been um, at the city gate. He should have been doing this or organising for justice to be meted out. But he wasn't there. He was absent. And Absalom filled that vacuum and filled people's minds with dissension against King David and what actually happened was that Absalom rose, uh, g gathered enough people to rise up a large army that marched on Jerusalem 
And David and um, Joab and some of his other uh, friends and entourage, they left the city. Left the city in shame. We read that when David got to the Mount of Olives, that he looked back at Jerusalem and he wept. He covered his head in shame as they marched forward and further away from Jerusalem, the place of the king, because David had been basically stripped of his kingship. As I was reading this, it struck me just how um, this, is, this is the opposite of what happened with Jesus when he came to Jerusalem. How The contrast of opposites. When Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem, he also wept. But he didn't weep for his own failure. He wept for the, 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 the souls of the people of the city. And he went down from the Mount of Olives and not fleeing from the city, he entered the city. And he, he didn't enter the city in either to save his life, he entered his city in order to give his life. He didn't enter, um, he didn't flee from the, the, the city and give up his kingship, he entered the city and he claimed to be king. So in this psalm we have this kind of reversal of, um, of what is happening to David that points us to Jesus. And I think that's uh, just an incidental fact that, is, that, that really kind of grabs your attention from this psalm because this psalm isn't actually quoted in the New Testament. Um, but we can see that it has connections with the New Testament. So um, what happened then in, in David's day was that Absalom was eventually defeated. It was God who won the victory and David was reinstated as the true king, the king whom God had chosen. Not the perfect king, but the king of God's choice. So we have this psalm. Did David write it as a psalm of victory as he looked back over what had happened? Perhaps. Or did someone else write it you know, in reflection of uh, what happened somewhere down the track historically? Perhaps. But here we have this psalm and it's a great, uh, a great psalm for those who need confidence and for those in trouble. The psalm starts with... Um, with, with David speaking, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation from God. He has many people against him and they're taunting him. They're saying, where is your God? You've been defeated. God has left you. Uh, this uh, crossed in my thoughts during the week as I watched the last episode of that uh, sensitive Scandinavian history story called Vikings, where the two half-brothers face off against each other in battle. And there's Bjorn, the, the, the big muscly Viking who, who should have won, and there's his, his brother, Ivor the Boneless, whose legs don't work properly, and he's a schemer, and uh, in the end, his army defeats Bjorn's army, and Bjorn is killed. And there's this picture of them both on the shore and in his dying, Bjorn says to his brother, well, 
the gods seem to have left me. And Ivor, the boneless, says, they left you a long time ago. In those uh, you know, days, the various gods of the nations were tied in with their battle. And the taunt of David is, God has left you a long time ago, David. Everything's gone so badly. You're such a weak king. And what does David say? David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. The Lord reaffirms that David is the chosen king, even in his failure, even in his sinfulness. David is reaffirmed as the king, and David says, The Lord is my shield, my protector, and the lifter of my head. He will lift me up out of this despondency, and uh, he will restore me. And the Lord answered from his holy hill, from the place in Jerusalem, as we heard last week, the place of the coronation of the king, the place of God's presence. God hears and speaks. And then David says, I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. You know, if you've got enemies against you, um, even in our context, if there's someone at work who you're having troubles with or a neighbour or a family member or whatever, what's one of the first things that goes? It's your peaceful sleep. You know, you lie down and you, you think of all these troubles and you justify yourself and you think of what you're going to say or whatever. But David says, I sleep peacefully. I don't need to justify myself, vindicate myself. Because God has done that. God has chosen David as king. So he should not fear. He should not fear because the Lord will bring victory. Not because David deserves it, but because the Lord is the Lord. And his word stands. And it seems like David wakes from his sleep and um, calls on, on God uh, to act. And he says in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. David knows that God fights for him. That's been his life story, that God has protected his life and has established him as a king. And this little picture of you know, being slapped on the face or having your teeth broken, I think that's in irony to those who are so critical of, of David and saying, God has left you. So speaking these words from their mouth, now they've got broken teeth and they can't say anything. Their mouths have been... Stopped, or at least their words have been stopped and David in confidence um, realises that God is the one and he says in verse 8 salvation belongs to the Lord your blessing be on your people so David has come to that point of, um, of being reaffirmed as, as king of knowing God's promise and of knowing that it's not because of David's attributes or abilities or or strengths, but it is because of God's promise. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now how do we 
apply this to our day and age as it's not mentioned in the, in, uh, the New Testament. But the pattern of God's salvation that we see here is um, a thread that runs through the New Testament. Just as David didn't deserve anything from God, neither do we as Christians. God doesn't save us because we've cleaned up our act and that, we, and that we're acceptable to him. It's the opposite. God saves us when we're still his enemies, Romans says. And God rest- restores us to life when we were dead in our sins. So God is the one who saves and we, we cannot trust in ourselves. And this psalm helps us to see that whether it's a military crisis or any other crisis that we may face in life, this psalm is a part of the worship of God's people. There's an interesting little connector in the psalm. I, I don't know whether your Bible has this. If you look at it, at the end of verse 2, 4 and 8, there's this little word, selah. If you've got the NIV, I think it has it in the footnotes. And it says selah, uh, we don't know what this word means. And that's basically true. Um, it, it kind of has a, a root meaning that has got something to, uh, to do with, with um, music. So it might be an instruction to the band or uh, an instruction for the, the singers to, uh, to give a pause or whatever. But the very fact that these, these um, instructions are there means that the people of God use this psalm in their worship, in their gatherings. And um, this psalm is supposed to have been um, the pattern of, of prayer used for morning prayer. So this psalm was often read in the morning. And you get this, this kind of movement. The worshipper enters God's presence and consciously moves away from the natural state of anxiety about enemies and about things that aren't going well in life and moves towards this trust and thankfulness of God. So as we come together in our worship, that should be a movement that we experience. Bring your anxieties to God. Bring your concerns and your worries to God and put them at his feet and you will be transformed. You will be renewed and, and reminded of the God who we serve. In trust and thankfulness we come before him. And then as with the psalm, this leads to the prayer of faith for God's victory or salvation. We can call on God to save us because that's what he's asked us to do. And we can be sure of God's victory and God's salvation because it's his work and not ours because he is the one who saves. And finally, we come to rest with the blessing of God as we go forward. The psalm finishes um, in verse 8, of which I've lost. Someone read verse 8 for me. The, The blessing comes from the Lord. That is the, the, uh, the gist of it, that we finish with that sure and certain confidence and comfort 
that it is from the Lord who brings rest and blessing. So think of your, yourselves, think of yourself today. We come to worship God together. We freely gather in this space and we come before God. Do you have anxieties and worries? Bring them to God. Have you got friends who are mocking you or saying, why would you waste your Sunday morning on going to church? Gather together with God's people. Bring your anxieties, change your perspective. Change your perspective. It is God who saves. And not because we deserve it, but because he is the God who saves. So as we uh, conclude, I want to ask you, do you have that confidence, that blessing that comes only from God? Verse 8 says, May your blessings be on your people. May your blessings be on your people. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, whoever is your adversary, no matter who stands against you, we know with more certainty than King David that salvation belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his blessing upon us and we can go forth with confidence and joy. So let me pray. God our Father, we thank you that we can encourage each other as we come to this place as we hear your word, as we lift our voices and as we receive again your forgiveness and your salvation. We pray, Lord, that we will go with your blessing, that we might share that blessing with others because you are God. Amen.